Well, we'll note this evening as we work our way through Psalm 89 that that, that song, which as we sing it, it's a, it's a joyful song. And yet what we'll see in Psalm 89 is that it doesn't necessarily come out of a joyful time. And yet, it is still the testimony of the psalmist's heart. Despite my circumstances, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. So let's open with a word of prayer. We'll read Psalm 89 and jump into it. Heavenly Father, this evening we rejoice that you are a merciful God. We rejoice in the mercies of our God that we, rejo- that we enjoy. The mercies of the Lord that last forever. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people who make your faithfulness and your mercy known. That we would be a people who with our mouths make known the faithfulness of our God to the next generation and to everyone that we come in contact with. For you are worthy. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 89. It's a longer psalm. Uh, It is uh, 52 verses long. And you'll note, as I read this psalm, you'll note a stark change in the psalm. Um, At verse 37, I believe it is, when we get there, there's a stark change. Um, And so, let's start Psalm 89. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth, all, the earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord and our King to the Holy One of Israel. And you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established, also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. 
But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea, and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are your your former loving kindnesses? which you swore to David in your truth. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Psalm 89 is an interesting psalm. It starts with such hope, such excitement. In the first 37 verses, your heart is rejoicing, and then there's this just stark change. It almost doesn't sound like the same psalm. Really, you can break the psalm into three parts. The first is the opening declaration of the first four verses. And then you have the greatness of God expounded in verses 5 to 37. And then really, verses 37 to to 52, the psalmist is stuck contemplating the complexity of life. What is happening? MacArthur says this, This psalm describes the author's attempt to reconcile the seeming contradictions between his theology and the reality of his nation's conditions. The theology of verses 1 to 37 
with the reality of life in verses 38 to 52. I think Psalm 89 is a very applicable psalm. We've all been there, have we not? At times when our theology, our doctrine, what we know to be true, what the Bible tells us, when it just doesn't seem to match the circumstances of our life. In fact, is, we not, is that not what we even saw last week in Psalm 88? It is a heavy psalm. It is down in the depths of despair. As I mentioned, it is called perhaps the, the saddest psalm in the whole Psalter. And yet, in the sovereignty of God, it is sandwiched between Psalm 87 and Psalm 89. Psalm 87, this glorious psalm that is looking forward to the kingdom your kingdom come. And then Psalm 89, where the psalmist, like the psalmist in, 89, in Psalm 88, he is struggling. And yet note how he responds here. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. What an opening line. Pastor Craig had mentioned that to me last week, because last week I made the point of the, the um, in the sovereignty of God, Psalm 87 coming right before Psalm 88. Eight, and Pastor Craig had came up to me afterwards and said, and what about the beginning of Psalm 89? Coming out of those depths, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And he is so right. And so here in these first four verses, you start with this declaration. And really, I think it's, these first four verses are important because they, they set really the context to the whole psalm. The whole psalm. Because the, the circumstances of verses 38 to, 30, uh, to 52 are in place right now. He's not, he's not writing from a place where things are good and then later on in the psalm things get bad. He's writing this right now at the beginning of Psalm 89. He's in the circumstances of, of verses 38 to 52. He's there. And so even though when we get to those verses, it is, it is, it is almost shocking uh, his, the, the way he words that. And yet we must keep it in the context of these first four verses. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I am choosing to sing. I will sing. That word sing is the idea of to, to proclaim. We, we talk about that even in our theme for the year, a new song. How it's not just literally a, a song, but it's, it's, it's the way that I view all of life. Really, it's my testimony of who God is and what he's done. I will tell that. I will proclaim it. I will sing it from the rooftops. That's really what the psalmist is getting at here. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will proclaim them from the rooftops. I will sing out. Let me tell you about the mercy of my God. With my mouth I will make them known. The mercies of the Lord. Every breath that you take is the mercy of God. Every moment that you do not spend in hell is the mercy of God. I will sing of the mercy of my God. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. I will tell everyone teaching what God has done. Look who God is. Look what he has done. With my mouth I will make known 
This is the, the overflow of the psalmist's heart. This is what I believe. This is what I meditate on. This is what comes out. Sports teams will often use the uh, phrase, you know, I, I bleed blue or I bleed red. You know, you cut me. The color of my team is going to come out. That's the ideal here. You cut me and praise to God is going to come out. I, it is overflowing out of me. This is what I believe. This is what I cling to. This is what I want to talk about. There's probably certain subjects that excite you. Certain subjects that you like to talk about. Certain subjects that you probably talk about too much. You look for every opportunity in a conversation to bring that up. For me, it's probably South Carolina. I love South Carolina. I am proud to be from South Carolina. And you all know very well that I'm from South Carolina because I use it in a lot of illustrations and I bring it up in a lot of conversations. That's the idea. Every conversation will be in the context of the mercy of God and his faithfulness. That will be the subject of everything that I say. In every conversation that I have, I am looking for every opportunity to direct the conversation towards the mercy of God and towards his faithfulness. Verse 2, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever, and your faithfulness shall be established in the very heavens. Mercy shall be built up forever. I will sing of God's mercy forever, because God's mercy will last forever. There is no end to his mercy. It does not end with time. It does not end with death because God does not die. It's the same hope that we see in Hebrews, is it not? With Jesus Christ, our, our high priest who is eternal. Therefore, our hope is eternal. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever because my God's mercy will last forever. Your faithfulness shall not establish, uh, you shall establish in the very heavens. Specifically, as you see in verses 3 and 4, the faithfulness of God is displayed in the Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant that we uh, come to know in 2 Samuel 7, verses 10 to 16. God speaking here, I've made a covenant with my chosen. David, my chosen people. David specifically, the representative, my chosen. I've sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. The psalmist here pauses, meditate on that. Like I said, this first four verses give us the context. I'm not going to go as slow as I've gone through these first four verses because I think it's important for us to understand these first four verses as we now head into the other, what's 52 minus 4? 48 verses, 47 verses? The context established here in these first four verses is important. It gives us the roadmap going forward. What I'm going to tell you, but all I'm doing, I'm doing all of this in the context of a decision that I have made that I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. So now in verses 5 and following, 5 to 37, he praises the greatness of God. And you'll, you'll notice he does it in several different ways. He praises God's power, power in creation, his power over the nations. He praises God's faithfulness. Again, he will focus on the Davidic covenant and he'll really zero in on that. And he says, spend several verses on that. And so right here at the beginning, the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Is, is there a God like our God? No, there's not. There is no one 
Who can be compared to our God? There is no angel. There is no demon. There is no one in the spiritual realm. There is no one in the physical realm who can be compared to our God. Who among the sons of the mighty there can be likened to the Lord. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. He is greatly to be feared, to be reverenced, to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, God of the angel armies, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. Here, this idea of the raging sea. Is Is there anything more powerful on earth than the ocean? If you've ever stood on the, on the edge of the ocean, you just feel the waves pulling you out. It's powerful. I would imagine it would be a much more powerful feeling if you were in a boat in the middle of a storm in the middle of the ocean. The raging of the sea, its waves rise, and yet you still them. You have power over even the raging ocean. You've broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. Now Rahab, that's a name that we saw in Psalm 87. Is this Rahab, uh, the Canaanite from Jericho? Is that who this is? Well, you'll remember back in Psalm 87, Rahab there was Egypt. Uh, It's a a nation, representing a nation, one of Israel's enemies. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who was slain. Uh, So here this could be a reference to, to Egypt, God's power over the nations. You've scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Uh, It could also, Rahab uh, is also the name of a mythological sea monster uh, from um, biblical times. Uh, So it could be that, but it seems here that he's talking about the nations. You've broken Rahab in pieces, you have slain, you have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm, all those who would rise up against Israel. But notice it doesn't stop with just on earth. It's not just the waters and the nations that are under God's control. But the heavens are yours. The earth, the world in all its fullness, you have founded them. They are yours because you created them. From the north to the south, you created them. Tabor to Hermon rejoice in your name. These are great mountains in Israel. Even the the greatest things on earth, mountains bow before God. Your mighty arm, strong as your hand is, high as your right hand, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Verse 14 tells us then how God rules. God is powerful and God rules, but but how does he rule? Because it would be bad for us if there was a God who was that powerful, who ruled over the earth and over the heavens, who could calm the sea. And he wasn't righteous. Or he wasn't just. If he did not know mercy or truth. But our God rules in righteousness and justice and mercy and truth. He is powerful and yet he is righteous in his power. He is just in his dealings and merciful and full of truth. Here in verse 15 now it kind of narrows in from just general God is great to specifically God's people and how they respond to him. 
Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. The idea there is is those who, who lift God's name in praise. They know him and they praise him and they worship him. There are blessed people. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. God's blessing. We, we've talked about how in Psalms a lot, the, the idea of God turning his face from me, turning your back to me, that is, that is God, I, I, I've fallen away from you. Turn your attention to me. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Your name, they rejoice, are those who walk in the light of your countenance as God is facing and looking at them. They are his, they are walking with them. In your name they rejoice all day long, in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and your favor, our horn, is exalted. God's people are blessed because their God is great. Verse 18, the king is the Lord's. You spoke in a vision to your holy one here in verses 19, really through verse 37. The psalmist here focuses on um, this Davidic covenant. He spoke in a vision to your Holy One. This is Nathan the prophet who received a vision, saw, uh, 2 Samuel 7, regarding God's covenant with David. God spoke this covenant to him and said, I have given help to the one who is mighty, have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. I have chosen him to be king, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. Now pay attention to the language here in these verses. Because when you get to verses 38 and following, the psalmist and his complaint then to God takes that language and flips it. And it's the enemies of God who seem to be flourishing. So the enemy shall not outwit him, the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and, and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father. What a unique relationship between Israel and her king and the God of the universe. You are my father. It takes our mind back to Psalm 2, verses 6 to 7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. It takes us to the New Testament where that psalm is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The true son of David. My God and the rock of my salvation also, I will make him my firstborn, a place of honor. The highest of the kings of the earth, my mercy, I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall not stand, for, or shall stand firm with him. Seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. Now if his son forsake my law, and do not walk in my judgments... If they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. God is merciful, but not at the expense of truth. If they break my covenant, if they break my statutes, I will judge them. There's a difference between mercy and enablement, and God will not overlook sin. And yet note verse 33, Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, though they break it, though they turn on me. I will not. I will be faithful. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. 
God's commitment to his covenant here with David could not be any clearer. I will not alter this covenant. I will not change this covenant. I will not abandon this covenant. I will keep this covenant exactly as I have made this covenant. Once I sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed will endure forever. His throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. I will do exactly what I said I will do. Now you come to verse 38, but. This is where the psalm takes this stark turn. Really, if you're not familiar with the psalm, it's really surprising. It catches you off guard. But you have cast off and abhorred. You've been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. The psalmist here is, is almost shocking in his bluntness. You have done the very thing you said you would not do. You probably all know someone who is blunt, who, doesn't, who speaks their mind. There's a video online of a woman who walks into a room where her husband and her little toddler are, and she says, Honey, would you still love me if I was fat? And the man says, of course I would. And the toddler goes, but mommy, you are fat. <laughs> She's blunt, right? He, do he doesn't know not to say that. That's almost as shy as it strikes us. The psalmist here is, is saying, he's just pouring out his heart to God. God, you've broken the thing you said you wouldn't do. It almost comes across as a reverence. In fact, I was, as I was studying this, one, there's one uh, famous Jewish rabbi who said that he would not read this psalm, and any time anyone did read this psalm, he would leave the room. Yeah, I think that the, the truth, or the bluntness of these first few verses here have to be understood in light of those first four verses. It's not that the psalmist really thinks that God has abandoned him, that God has really abandoned his covenant with David. He says from the very beginning, I will praise you. I will tell the next generation. I will trust. And in fact, there, there's almost a sort of reverence and a raw honesty For instance, when someone I love is hurting, I want to know their raw thoughts. I don't want them to, to take the time to, you know, kind of sugarcoat it and tell me what I want to hear. I want to know the deep pains of your heart. Be honest with me. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Let's talk about this. Let's work through this. And so I think when you understand these first several verses here, in the context of the first four verses, you come to understand that you come to understand the psalmist's faith, despite his confusing situation. He doesn't understand what God is doing. God, this is how it feels. I, I, I know it's not true because I've chosen that, that I will worship you. I will sing of your mercies. But it feels, it feels like you've abandoned your covenant. All who pass by the way plunder him. 
He's a reproach to his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of the adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in battle. These very promises that you gave to David, it seems that that the enemies of Israel are the ones who they're being fulfilled to. Israel is plundered. It seems that you've strengthened the hand of your adversaries. You've not sustained us in battle. You have made his glory cease. You have cast his throne to the ground. In the days of his youth, you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. And in this cry of lament in verse 46, How long, Lord? Even in that cry, there's a hint of faith, is there not? A hint of hope. That, that at some point, this will come to an end. In fact, you you see in these next couple verses that the the psalmist's fear here is that this will not be resolved in his lifetime. I I want to see this come to an end. But God does not work in our timelines. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility you have created all the children of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses? These loving kindnesses that I sing of, that that former generations have seen, where are they in my lifetime? But you swore to David in your truth. Remember God, your God of truth. You swore this. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. And yet it ends with this short doxology that brings us all the way back to the very beginning of the psalm. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known. Even though I don't see it, even though I'm in a confusing situation, even though it makes no sense to me, even though life hurts, even though my joy is gone, my hope remains. And I will rejoice in my God. I will sing of his loving kindness, of his mercy. I will tell of his faithfulness. The last three psalms, Psalm 87, 88, and 89, as you come to Psalm 89, this doxology here in verse 52 not only closes this psalm, but it closes book three of the psalms. Psalm 73 to 89. In Psalm 90, we now jump into book four. As you come to the end of book three, as you come to the end of this psalm, as you come to the end of really these last three psalms, 87, 88, and 89, it, it, it is up and it is down. It's like the ups and the downs of life. Psalm 87, you are way up high and you're rejoicing. Come, Lord, I'm so excited. God will fulfill his promises. I want to see his kingdom. Psalm 88, you are way down in the depths. Psalm 89, you start joyful and then you get halfway through and you're back down again. It's kind of how life is, is it not? 
And yet note that in Psalm 87, 88, and 89, God is the same. He does not change. The psalmist can sing of the mercy of the Lord forever because the mercies of the Lord do not end. The mercies of the Lord did not go away in Psalm 88. They did not go away in the end of Psalm 89. They were just as strong as they were in Psalm 87. God is just as faithful in Psalm 88 and the end of Psalm 89 as he is in Psalm 87. In fact, the author of Hebrews reminds us, we were just in this passage a few weeks ago in, Psalm, in Hebrews 6.19, that the faithfulness of God is an anchor for the soul. And that's what we see in these three psalms, in the ups and the downs of life, in the ups and the downs of emotion. It is the faithfulness of God that is an anchor for our soul, that holds us down, that gives us hope, that keeps us singing of the mercy of the Lord forever, of singing with our mouth of his faithfulness to all generations, regardless of whether we are at a, an up or a down or somewhere in the middle. God remains the same. He is faithful. And we have an anchor for the soul. And we will hope. And so with that, we come to the end of book three of the Psalms, and we'll jump into, Lord willing, book four next Wednesday. Maybe you're in the first half. Maybe you're in the first four verses. Maybe you're in the last several verses. Just remember that your God is the same regardless of where you are. It doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change the promises that he has made. He is faithful, and he is committed to those promises, and he will fulfill them because that's who he is, because he is powerful. It is the truth of Psalm 89, 1 to 37, that gives hope to the darkness of Psalm 89, 38 to 52. Because those first few are true, there's hope in those last few. So don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Wherever you are tonight, don't lose hope. Be faithful. Your God is faithful. With that, we'll take some prayer requests.